Well, welcome everybody. Um, I'm excited. Like Matt said, my name is Derek, and I'm very excited. We are in week two of a series called Follow Me. And um, we're just looking at those two words from Jesus, and what do they mean for all of us? Um, last week, we kicked off by really looking at Jesus making this invitation to follow, and what are the prerequisites for following Jesus? What's required of us to begin to follow Jesus? And one of the things that's pretty wild is that actually, uh, we talked about you don't have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. You don't actually have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus, uh, because if you look at his 12 disciples, they certainly didn't know who he was. They lacked a lot of faith and belief. In fact, it wasn't until after he died and was resurrected that they came to fully believe in him. So you don't have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. Um, And we talked about how you don't have to behave like Jesus to start following Jesus. Because if you look at the kind of people that Jesus called to him, we looked at the tax collector Matthew last week, some very interesting people. And Jesus did not say, you got to get your whole life figured out. You got to get it all together. You got to clean up your act and then you can follow me. No, no, no. He simply said, come follow me. And once we do that, changes start to happen. Um, We let God take things from there. So you don't have to believe in Jesus to start following Jesus. You don't have to behave like Jesus to start following Jesus. The only prerequisite, and this is actually, it's actually a little bit difficult, but the only prerequisite for following Jesus we talked about last week is we have to admit a need for him. We have to admit a need. I talked last week about how we are all plate lickers. And uh, if you missed that, you can go online, you can check out our podcast, um, but you can catch up that way. All of our messages uh, you can find on our website. Um, so it's admitting that need that, that really is one of those things that, man, that's, that's hard for us, especially in the 21st century in the Western world today. But that's all that's required for us to follow Jesus is to admit a need for Jesus. And uh, we, we kind of ended last week with the question, okay, so So let's say we start following Jesus. What would it look like to follow him? Like practically speaking, what would life be like? And what actually kind of inspired this whole series was was the question, so if we lived 2,000 years ago and Jesus pointed to us and said, hey, come follow me, what would we actually be doing? Like what, what was Jesus doing? And then what would we have been doing? And so um, today we're going to look at um, one of the things that that Jesus was definitely doing that his disciples would have been doing. Um, And I can tell you this, um, there's going to be several things we're going to look at through this series. But one of the things that is without question and without a doubt is that Jesus was very, very busy. Now we live in busy Washington, D.C. And many of you, you have crazy busy schedules and lives and all kinds of pressure and stuff. I got to tell you, Jesus has you beat and we're going we're gonna to look at that today. Um, we're, there are four accounts of Jesus' life found in the New Testament of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were four different writers who wrote about Jesus. And um, we're going to look at Mark's account today, the very first chapter. So what's important to know is that in the first chapter of Mark's gospel, um, Jesus is just getting started. His ministry is in his infancy. It's just getting underway. All right, just starting to build momentum. It's not full blown. You know, word isn't out all over the place yet. In fact, Jesus has just begun to call his disciples. 
He's just started teaching about the things of God, and uh, he has done a couple of different healings in a town called Capernaum, Capernaum, which is in the region of Galilee. And uh, he happens to heal uh, the mother-in-law of Peter, who is one of his disciples. And, um, and the word then starts to spread. And so we pick up the, the story here in verse 32. Again, this is the first chapter, just getting started in Jesus' ministry, check it out. So Jesus healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and then it says this in verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Now, I just want you to picture this scene for a minute. It says it's after sunset. So it's dark. This is typically when things would be shutting down for the night. And it says, the whole town is gathered at the door. Just imagine what that would have looked like. And then in verse 34, it says, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Now, that's all the detail we get about the evening. So we don't know how late into the night it went, but you've got to imagine if the whole town is there, they didn't even start until after dark. And it says that Jesus healed many you got to imagine it was a long night for Jesus and those disciples. We don't know what time they went to bed. We don't even know if they went to bed or whatever. But the next morning, presumably when the disciples wake up, Jesus is gone. They can't find him. We skip to verse 36, and it says, uh, Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, check out what they said. They exclaimed, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Where have you been, Jesus? And I think at this point, no matter how busy your life is or your schedule is, you just got to be grateful that your life wasn't as crazy as Jesus's was. Because at least I hope that you don't, when you wake up in the morning, have people who are like stalking you, who are hunting you down, trying to find you, you know, and an email on your phone or a text doesn't count. I mean, physically, there's people going after Jesus, trying to find him. And so you see, this is the beginning of his ministry. It's only going to get crazier from here. And so you just get an appreciation for how crazy and busy Jesus' life was. Well, Where was Jesus? What was going on? Well, let's get back to verse 35. It says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So I want you to take note of this, okay? We're talking about what does it look like to follow Jesus? What would Jesus have been doing? What would we have been doing? Here we have, in the midst of all this craziness that was Jesus' life and ministry. In the midst of all these people who were constantly vying for his attention, wanting to see him, all the demands on him that Jesus had, here's what we see. Jesus is carving out time in his very busy, even busier than our schedules, to do what? To pray. And I want you to notice this. This is not a one-time occurrence. This is very important. Um, We see in another one of the accounts of Jesus' life from a writer named Luke. 
In the fifth chapter of Luke's gospel account, in verse 16, it says, Luke writes, that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So you see, this is a regular habit of Jesus. He would often withdraw to lonely places and he would pray. Now the question is, why did he do this? Why did Jesus often withdraw to lonely places and pray? I remember um, a few weeks ago, I needed to withdraw to a lonely place and pray. And um, the deal was, it was, uh, it was like a Wednesday night, and um, I, I, just, I was having trouble sleeping. Most of the time, I'm a pretty good sleeper, but uh, this particular night, I just could not get to sleep. I think I had a lot of stuff on my mind. I couldn't seem to get my brain to turn off. And uh, so, you know, went to bed hours and hours earlier and, um, and, and just was laying in bed and just could not get to sleep, tossing and turning, got up, tried to read, you know, do different things. Nothing was working. And you got to the point where I was like overtired, and I was exhausted, and I felt like I still couldn't get to sleep. And so you start to kind of get a little bit like, oh my gosh, you start to panic a little bit. So finally, sometime between like 1 and 2 a.m., I finally fell asleep, and it was one of those like really amazing deep sleeps. Like I was out, you guys. Now, a little bit of background on me. So I'm, I'm married, and I have three children, and um, my three children are all elementary age kids, which, praise God, that means that, that the days of like the constant interruptions in the night are pretty much over for us. It's like it's such an amazing thing when you get clear that stage. So um, we'll get interrupted every now and then, but it's not a regular occurrence. Like if it happens, it's, it's pretty abnormal. So I'm used to sleeping through the night when I finally get to sleep. So overtired, finally get to sleep, and now I'm just, I am out. I am, so, I'm just dead to the world, like coma. I'm out. And um, my son, Timmy, I have three kids, and my son is nine. And um, he, he's just like a, he's like a big dude, and he's, he's loud, and, um, and he's, he's great. He, his bedroom is directly across from, from my bedroom, and about two or so in the morning, he starts to have a nightmare, and um, he starts kind of moaning and, and, and calling out, like, you know, talking in his sleep and yelling and stuff. And it starts to arouse my wife, but I'm just out. I don't hear anything. So she's kind of stirring and she hears it. She doesn't wake me up. I'm just out. So the next thing you know, I guess his dream got more intense. And all of a sudden, he leaps out of bed, runs across his room, and then runs into my bedroom. Now, my bedroom door is closed always. It's a, so he runs and he kind of like crashes into the door and the door goes swinging open and like hits the, the closet door that's right there. And it's this huge boom sound. And you got to picture this. There's a, our little hallway, there's a light in there. And so there's light that would be streaming in. The door opens with this huge boom. And, um, and then there's my son just running into the room and literally he runs in and he's like, ah! and his eyes are closed. He's kind of in a daze, like somewhere in between sleep and awake and whatever. So here I am and I'm, I'm laying down in bed. I'm out. And all of a sudden, boom. And then, ah! and I bolt up out of bed 
And I see this like light shining and this like gremlin type <laughs> figure with like bedhead and just going <laughs> literally you guys, I pop up out of bed like this and I go <laughs> I was terrified. I cannot explain to you what happened, but I just want you to imagine what it was like to be my wife for a minute there. <laughs> so she had already kind of knew what was happening. You know, you want your man, the man of the house, to, to be able in a moment of crisis or panic to come through for the family. Honey, don't worry, I got this. An intruder in the house, it'll be okay. Get behind me. <laughs> so... I'm telling you, you can't make this stuff up, okay? It's just too, this is too crazy to, to, to be made up. So I scream, and I'm holding my arms out like this, you know? Like, it's the weirdest thing. I'm like, ah! I don't know why I was holding my arms out. But my son, whose eyes were closed, all of a sudden, I, when I scream like this, it, like, startles him, and he wakes up. And he goes, ah! And he screams, because now he's scared. Like, now he's, like, scared of me. But then he runs at me. Because I guess he saw me and he just was like, okay. And I, he thought I was wanting to give him a hug. So he runs at, the gremlin runs at me and he just tackles me into the bed and we fall backwards. And we're like hugging and he's screaming and I'm just like laughing at this point. Because I'm like, what is wrong with me? And you see, this is why I had to withdraw to a lonely place and pray. Because I'm like, God, help me. I am the man of the house here. What, what is the matter with me? Seriously, I, I still don't know. I still can't explain it. Um, but hey, let's get back to our question. Let's get back to our question. Let's talk about Jesus, okay? Why did Jesus often withdraw to lonely places and pray? Why did he do that? Did, did he think this was kind of fun, like a little trick to play on the disciples? Did he like playing hide and seek? Like, hey, I'm going to go hide and you guys go try and find me. Or, you know, in the midst of this ministry moment where there's all these people crowding outside the door uh, that morning and where's Jesus and we want to be healed. And he's thinking, well, I'm going to be gone in a few years anyway. So let's do this. Is a good leadership development opportunity. Let's see how they do while I'm not here. Is that, is that why he was doing this? Well, Here's why Jesus was doing this. The reason that Jesus would withdraw to lonely places and pray is because Jesus needed to pray. Think about that for a minute. Jesus needed to pray. Now, if you're here and you're new to Christianity, or maybe actually you're just, you're just kind of exploring who Jesus is, then what the concept I'm going to share with you it might be hard to, for you to wrap your mind around, so just give yourself a little, a little grace on this one, because I can tell you, as someone who's been a Christian for a long time and has actually been all the way through seminary, this is still a hard concept for me to wrap my mind around, but let me just give it to you anyway. Christianity proclaims that Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully human at the same time. Not like 50-50 split down the middle, 100% divine, and at the same time, 100% human. Now that's, that doesn't work, the math doesn't work there. That's 200%, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is a mind-blowing concept. The idea, somehow he was fully God in human flesh. Now, the implications for this are pretty staggering. 
Because what this means is that while Jesus was divine, he was at the same time fully susceptible to all of the human thoughts and emotions that we experience today. So what this meant was that all the stresses and the pressures of this life and all the temptations of this life would have all been upon him. And though he did not sin, he still experienced all of those things that we experience, all those pressures and stresses and temptations of this life, which, by the way, if Jesus then actually is God, who came to this earth for our sake, that's, that's incredible news for us because that means that Jesus experienced all the, 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 the stuff that we experience as human beings in this life. There's nothing that we experience that Jesus can't fully understand and relate to. That is absolutely awesome when you think about it. But here's the deal. So here's Jesus, and he's got these crowds of people that followed him everywhere that he went. You got to remember, these crowds weren't just looking to Jesus to, to heal them and to teach them things and um, to counsel them. But these crowds of people, you got to remember, this is the nation of Israel that was once this great nation that now is under the rule of the Roman Empire. And this is a nation that's looking for God to restore it to greatness. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. Here's this man that teaches with such authority that the crowds were left in awe. He was a man that could heal people. He was a man that could actually speak and the wind and the waves would obey him. He was a man that it was like, we don't know exactly who he is, but this, he has to be from God. So what did all these crowds of people want Jesus to do? They wanted Jesus to rise up and lead a revolution. When they heard about a Messiah who was gonna come and restore Israel to greatness, they were thinking about someone who was going to take this nation and elevate it back up on the world stage. They were looking for a military leader. They were looking for a political leader. And so here is Jesus, and you see in these gospel accounts, Jesus gets pressured. These crowds, are, they're trying to grab him, and they're trying to elevate him into these positions of power. And Jesus, the reason he has to withdraw and pray is because he has to get back connected with his heavenly Father and to stay on point and to stay on mission. You've got to remember, Jesus also, he's, he's constantly encountering opposition, from all these religious leaders of the day that had taken these beautiful commands of God that were basically given to us to protect us as human beings, to better our lives. That's, that's why these commands were given. And now these religious leaders had taken these commands and they twisted them around. They put all this other stuff on them and they were basically using them in a way to kind of to say, hey, you know, we're, we're so great and you, you know, you got to do all this stuff. And they were putting all these requirements on people. And Jesus absolutely could not stand these religious leaders. In fact, they were like the one group that he was constantly railing against. And so you better believe that he was often withdrawing to lonely places and praying so he didn't go postal on these religious leaders. He absolutely, you see these altercations, he is fired up. Then you got his disciples, particularly his closest 12. 
you look at these guys, and I mean, if you want to feel better about yourself as a follower of Jesus, like if you're beating yourself up, you know, oh man, you know, I'm just, I, gosh, I, sh- I should just be doing a better job as, as, a, as a Christian. You look at these guys, you're going you're gonna to be encouraged. I guarantee you. Because, man, they are just, they're just, they cannot be helped. Jesus is teaching all these things. They don't understand any of his parables. They are constantly lacking faith. They're freaking out at every opportunity. He asks them questions. They get the questions wrong. He's rebuking them. Um, You've got two of them vying for power. Who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? Uh, It's just, it's an absolute mess, these disciples. And so you better believe that he was withdrawing and praying just to have enough patience to be able to handle these 12 guys. And then finally, Jesus knew what he was here to do ultimately, which was not to be some political or a military hero, but it was to ultimately suffer and die on a cross for the sins of the world. And by doing that and taking that on, that is how we would all be made righteous in the eyes of God through what he did, through his loving sacrifice for us, swallowing up all the evil, all the terrible things and saying, you know what, all we do is if we put our faith in Jesus, not in our own actions and our own way, but if we put our faith in Jesus, that we would be made right in the eyes of God. And so he knew that that involved suffering and death. And so yes, as, as God in his divinity, he could handle that, but in his humanness, being fully human, knowing that human suffering that he was going to endure, that took some serious prayer. Jesus needed to get away and pray. And so here's the thing. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon today, here's what I want you to remember, okay? So if you just kind of were tuning out for a second, just tune me right back in because I want you to hear this. If Jesus Christ needed to pray, how much more so do we need to pray? Think about that. If Jesus Christ needed to pray in order to fulfill his mission, in order to do the things that he set out to do, how much more do we, as those who are striving to be his followers, to be like him, how much more do we need to pray than Jesus needed to pray? And you better believe that if Jesus had this habit of praying, that those disciples, they were praying. In fact, they actually asked Jesus, like, hey, can you teach us how to pray? And um, check out what, what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. It's another, it's another account um, of Jesus' life. It says, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And he goes on to um, do this teaching that we know today as the Lord's Prayer. And some of you might have prayed this allowed at some point in your church experience. And and I want us to read out this prayer together, if we could. So join with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some of you remember, you might have prayed, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Some of you are like, wow, man, I haven't done that since I was a kid. That was cool, man. Like, I like that. like that. Um, others of you were like, man, I thought that was always something my church made up and they typed into the bulletin. I never realized that was like, Jesus said that? Like, that was his teaching? 
That's so cool. That's in the Bible? I'm telling you, man, you should read the Bible sometime. It's really amazing what, what, what's in there and what you learn. It's, it's really cool. Um, so here's, here's the deal. This prayer that Jesus prays and he teaches his disciples and by extension us to pray is so rich that we literally could break this down into about six weeks worth of sermons. We could chunk it out and teach on it. And maybe at some point we will, okay? But today, I just, I want you to look a little bit of a bigger, higher level because it's, it's just, it's a great, great teaching on prayer, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. And um, what I want you to see is a two-part pattern, okay? Two-part pattern. The pattern begins with God. Check this out. So we focus on God, your name, your kingdom, your will. You see that? Those three things all focused on God. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. So the idea is here, when you begin your prayer, it's so easy to start with yourself, but start with God. Start with God, okay? Then the prayer in its second part moves from praying God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. It moves to us. It moves to um, our daily bread, our needs, our debts, our sins, right? And then our, our deliverance, protection. And so we have... We have this pattern of prayer where you start with God and then you move to your own needs, worries, and concerns. And it's very simple and it's very effective. And for many of you, this is nothing new. You haven't heard, you've heard this before, but it's amazing how often when I pray, I actually don't pray like this. So this was, this was great for me as a refresher this week as, uh, as I was studying this passage. Um, and, and here's the deal. This is what's so cool about this prayer is it really recalibrates you, okay? Because there's so much stuff going on in our lives, you know? And there's so much stuff going on in our nation. And there's so much stuff going on in our world. I mean, just, the, gosh, the news is so crazy. It's like every day we're like almost dreading seeing is there something else that we're gonna hear about, you know? And so there's all this stuff going on. And basically, here is Jesus, and here's what he's saying. Okay, here's the pattern. Start with God. Start with the goodness of God. Start with focusing on how awesome God is and how awesome God's love is for you and how awesome God's purposes and power is. You see how that recalibrates you from all the negative and the stress and all this crazy stuff that's happening? And then once you focus there on God, then, okay, now let's talk about my needs. Let's, let's, let's turn over those concerns to the one who can do something about them. And so when we do this, particularly when we pray this way, focused on who God is and then what we need, those two things, man, it is so good for us. So uh, this past week, I was Googling the benefits of prayer. And it is absolutely astounding. In fact, if you Google benefits of prayer, you'll have so much to read, you'll be overwhelmed. I had to stop after like 45 minutes of reading articles about the benefits of prayer. All the research studies, you, you would absolutely, it would blow your mind. I'll just give you one that I think is interesting only because if you're here today and maybe you're a skeptic or, you know, or you're, you're, you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a, a religious person, but somehow you, you find yourself here. Th this is one that I found in, in psychology today. And uh, this was from some scientific studies they'd done with control groups. They had one group praying, one group not praying. 
um, and, uh, and sometimes the control group, one group was, was praying to God and then the other group was just repeating mantras or, or something like that. So nothing to do with kind of a spiritual exercise. And really, really interesting, um, what they found was that um, the group that was praying had improved self-control, reduced anger, was more forgiving, and less susceptible to negative health effects of stress than the group that was not. And I mean, you can just find countless studies and articles and all sorts of research on this stuff. But here's, if I had to sum it all up, this is is how I'd sum it up. People who pray are healthier and happier than people who don't. People who pray are healthier and happier than people who don't. Now, you didn't need me to tell you that, did you? Because that wasn't anything new for you. In fact, when you think about your own life, you know this to be true, don't you? When, when you're in a habit, you're in a rhythm of praying, you tend to be a little bit more centered, a little bit calmer, a little bit more steady, a little bit more reassured, particularly if you're following this pattern where you start focused on your heavenly father who loves you, and then you're turning your, your worries and your needs and your concerns over to God. So we already know this. We know we're better off when we pray. But here's the thing that's so frustrating, isn't it? Frustrates me. Why do we struggle with it so much? I mean, there's a few of us in this room, at prayer warriors, like, man, we haven't missed a day of prayer since 1984, okay? I mean, it's just, it's so much a part of our rhythm that we, we just can't, I mean, it's just, it's like, wait, how do you not pray? It, it's just, and, and um, uh, you know, I think all the rest of us in this room are jealous uh, of, of you guys who, who do that. We, we absolutely think that is amazing. But if we could just talk practically for a second, it's just, it's just hard. It's hard to get into a good rhythm, into a good routine. And even when we get into a routine, we'll be in it for a while. And then all of a sudden, what happens? It just, it like gets a little stagnant gets a little stale. All of a sudden, you know, we, we felt like, man, this was great. I felt the presence of God. I felt this sense of peace. And then it's like, man, it's just gone. And somehow it tailed off. And how did, how did I get out of that habit? How did I get out of that rhythm? Maybe this is just a confession for me, my, my prayer life. Okay. Um, so we know it's good for us. We know it's something that Jesus did that his followers do. So we know we should do it. We know we benefit from it. Why do we struggle so much? What do we do about that? Let's get really practical in these last couple minutes as we close out. I'm gonna give you two practical tools to help you pray. Two practical tools, okay? These are born out of my own personal experience and also some research from some uh, plenty of books and, and other things, okay? Here they are. They both start with T. You need a trigger and a timer. Trigger and a timer. We're gonna get, we're gonna get super, super practical here. So, First of all, you need a trigger. If anyone's familiar with Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, this is basically uh, another word for one of the things he talks about with a cue for a habit. Um, Here's the deal. Trying to get in that rhythm of starting to pray, particularly, you can pray any time of the day or night or whenever, but particularly starting your day with prayer, and this doesn't have anything to do with prayer or Christianity, but, but what you do in the morning to start your day sets a tone for the rest of your day. And research proves that out. If you watch three minutes, three minutes of negative media, it will cause you to feel 
uh, more despair, more hopelessness, less optimism, um, you will rate your day worse off after just three minutes, okay? That, that comes actually from, uh, from a guy uh, who wrote The Happiness Advantage, um, talking about a, a study that was done on that. So what if instead you sent, spent three minutes praying and focusing on how great our God is and all the promises that God has for us and how powerful God is and all God's love and, I mean, you know, just focus there? What might your, what might your day look like? How might that recalibrate you and your day? So you need a trigger, and I would challenge you to try this first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, okay? I know some of you are like, oh, you know it's 11 o'clock service, right? It's not even morning yet, okay? But just, just bear with me. Um, so here's, here's the idea for the trigger, okay? I'll give you an example. Um, something that'll trigger you to pray. So take your toothbrush and, um, and take it out of the bathroom and go set it on top of your Bible by your dresser. So what that's going to do is then when you're all groggy and, you know, cracked out and you don't know what's going on and you walk into the bathroom and splash some water in your face and you go to brush your teeth, you're going to go, where's my toothbrush? Oh yeah. Oh, it's on my Bible. Oh yeah. Pray. And your trigger is before I brush my teeth, I am going to pray. Or maybe um, you just love coffee. In fact, some of you, you're nothing like Jesus until you have your coffee. <laughs> nothing like Jesus. Okay. And so maybe you, you take, like, maybe you have a prayer journal. I, I love prayer journals because it just helps me stay focused when I pray. And so um, you take your prayer journal, you put it on top of your coffee maker. And that's your trigger to say, you know what, before I, or, or maybe I make my coffee and as that magic elixir of life is percolating, I am going to take some time in those couple minutes to, to pray, to write down my, my prayers to God, focus on who God is. Or maybe you have a commute in the morning and God help you, okay? You need to put a little post-it note on your steering wheel. And so when you get in that car, that's your trigger to say, you know, before I turn the ignition, I'm going to start my day and we'll start this commute by praying, focusing on who God is, and then God help me with my road rage as I drive through Washington, D.C. You know, it could be anything, but find a trigger. And I'm telling you, it sounds a little hokey. It sounds like, oh, I don't need a trigger. That's so stupid. You know, let me tell you something. Try it without it. See how you do. Get back to me. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pray. Yeah. See, let's, good luck. I'm, ser- I'm dead serious. Okay. Think, man, if God really wants me to pray, he won't, I don't need a trigger. I, God just told you you need a trigger. Okay. <laughs> All right. Might as well. It's a practical tool. It'll help you pray. Well, I mean, seriously. Um, I have had great success with that. Second thing, you need a trigger, but you need a timer. Now, if you didn't like the trigger, you're really going to hate the timer, but I'm telling you, you're going to think this is so mechanical and like programmed, but just, just hear me out, okay? The deal with the timer is this. You set a timer for whatever is realistic for you. You know, if you're like a very succinct person with few words, you need to set one minute on that timer, okay? In one minute, that's, that's a good starting place for you. Start at one minute. That's your deal. When you get to one minute and the timer goes off, say amen, get up and brush your teeth. All right, that's the deal. Others of you that, you know, whatever your time, you know, you know yourself, set the time, get your phone out or whatever, set the time on the timer. When the alarm goes off, you can stop early, but, but when the alarm goes off, say amen and you're done. Now here is why this is so powerful. Because some of you are like, a timer? Seriously? That's so 
so ridiculous. Here's why this is powerful. Because there are many of you, and you will hear a sermon like this. You're like, yeah, you know, gosh, I needed to hear that today. I'm going to get back on track with my prayer life. I heard this sermon in church today. Man, tomorrow morning, I am going to start praying. It's going to be awesome. You know what you're going to do? You're going to be so excited. Your alarm's going to go off. You're going to do it. And you're going to open up your Bible. And Psalms are a great place, by the way. There's all those prayer, model prayers to God. Great place. Um, and if you're doing it, don't be flipping around all over the place. Just pick one and go. All right? So, you, you know, all of a sudden you're in the Psalms and you're praying and you're like, this is so awesome. And you're just like feeling the peace of God. And then you're like, I'm going to put on some worship music. So you start looking around for some worship music. You put on some music. And then you're like, oh, this Psalm's so good. And now you're flipping the Bible. You read for 45 minutes. You got worship music. You're praying. What happens? It's an awesome, it's an awesome time. I mean, genuinely, it'll be great. I promise you that. It's a great start to your morning. But you know what? You will get that night and you'll lay down in bed and your alarm goes off the next morning and you're like, oh, I mean, that was cool, but I can't do that again. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, because it's just, it's not built into, it's not built into your rhythm to, to spend that much of a chunk of time that you're not used to planning for. So the deal is this, the timer helps you to be realistic. Just helps you to be realistic because you, you're going to get, you're going to get excited in the first day. And what that's going to do, I'm just telling you from, from experience, is then that's going to be, you're going to be a one and done. You don't want to be one and done. So again, these are just suggestions. You don't have to do them, but I am telling you, if you will just do it, if you just try it, push through if it feels a little hokey or a little forced or whatever, um, because here's the thing. Let me just ask you, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be um, a, sm- a smart aleck, but um, if, this, if this sounds weird, but is, is your way working better? Is your way working better? The way, the way it's going for you right now. So these are just a couple practical tools and maybe they'll help you out. And I've, I think that this works no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter what your, your prayer life looks like throughout your day. This is a, just a great way to begin your day and set a tone that will then have a ripple effect all through your day. All right, so we've, we've talked about this, but it's time to put it into practice just for a minute here. So I'm going to ask um, our team's going to help us just create a little sacred space. Um, they're going to play a little bit of uh, instrumental music behind us, and um, I want to give you guys the chance to pray right here, right now, and I want you to remember how Jesus taught us to pray. First, we focus on God, who God is, and then we focus on us and what we need from God and turning things over to God. So um, what we're going to do is um, I just want to let you know where we're heading next week, and then we're going we're gonna to pray, and we're going to close out the service. So next week, we're going to continue to look at what it would look like to follow Jesus. And um, we're going to look at another thing that Jesus did all the time that um, you better believe that his disciples did, and we would have been doing as well. So I uh, want to make sure you mark your calendar and make sure you come back next week. But for right now, I want us just to take a moment, and, and here's the thing. If even Jesus needed to pray, how much more so do we? How much more so do we? So if I could ask, we dim the lights and just kind of have a moment. We're going to uh, just focus on who God is. Start your prayer. It's just quiet prayer, okay? Just bow your head, close your eyes. Let's bring those lights down, and um, we, will, um, we will just focus in on who God is and then turning our cares and our worries over to him. So take a minute to pray right now.
Lord God, we just want to say thank you so much for who you are. We live pretty crazy, busy lives in this city. We thank you that you know what that looks like and feels like. You understand what it is to walk this earth and to live that kind of life. Lord, you also know everything, see everything. You know about the chaos that's going on in our country and in our world, God. You know about just all the crazy things that are happening and, and how they leave us just dazed and confused and feeling hopeless and not knowing what to do next or how to respond. Lord, our world needs you. We need you. We thank you that you have put this world into motion. Lord, that you are bigger than every kind of pro problem and issue and thing that's going on here on planet Earth. God, we trust in your ways. Lord, we trust in your love and your goodness. Lord, we cling to promises like we read in the book of Romans 8.28 that we know that you work in all things for the good of those who love you, have been according to your, called according to your purpose. Lord, we need you to help to put this messed up world back together again. And in many cases, to put our messed up lives back together again. We need your help. We turn to you, Lord. We need your hope. We need your light. We need your love. We need your reassurance. We need your peace. We need your promises. God, we need you. Even for those of us in this room who don't even, we're not even in touch with our need right now. We need you, God. We know somewhere deep down we do need you. So Lord, just rush in. Rush in and do what only you can do for us, for our nation, and for our world, God. We thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us and what you will do for us in the future. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.